everybody. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford, and when I'm not out running or riding, I'm probably inside writing about it. And I'm Peter Glassford. I'm a registered kinesiologist and an endurance coach, and you are here on the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we look at all different types of movers and, and the movements that they do. Uh, that could be coaches, it could be athletes, it could be people that do a bunch of sports really well, which are our favorite uh, and are the consummate athletes that we're so curious about. Uh, so again, welcome to the consummate athlete and thank you for being here. We are into the new year. Uh, so we have our, our habits uh, quick start guide is is live and thank you to those who have signed up. It seems to be going well. Uh, if you do have any feedback as you get through that, uh, good or bad, uh, or otherwise, please let us know. Yeah, and if you haven't started it already, there's still time. It's a rolling intro, so there's not like you don't need to have started it on January. Yeah, 1st. I think like everyone, we jumped on the New Year's bandwagon, but it is certainly just there for whenever. Um, yeah. Yeah, I actually saw a really good few articles today. Actually, I mean, I know it's about it's almost as classic at this point as the New Year's resolution well, articles the, yeah. is now the five days later. Like that's right. It's okay if your New Year's resolution hasn't gone according to plan already, or if you didn't start one, you can still start one. Yeah, and I think it's like that weekend, right? It's, uh, I don't know when you're listening to this, but it should be about, you know, for, for many people, the the go live for this episode will be sort of a week into the, the new year. And I think anything, right? You know, you, we're coming into a bunch of training camps and stuff, and everything's sort of like you can do it for, it seems like, you know, that seven days, maybe, maybe it varies between people, but it's... It's that once the fatigue starts hitting and you start hitting, you know, whatever the barriers, the obstacles, the, you know, twists and turns in life are, that's where it gets tricky, right? So I think, you know, sometimes you, you, you get a little bit to the left, a little bit to the right, and you just keep trying to come back uh, and sort of reposition, right? So it's sort of vague, I guess, but yeah, you know so, what I mean? It's I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're not every meal is perfect. You know, not every workout's the full length. And it doesn't have to be, it shouldn't have to be, it's okay. Yeah, it just isn't, right? And so on that note, what have you been up to this week? Well, we've been riding a bunch. Um, yeah, I don't know, just working away. Lots of plans, It's certainly with the, the new year and stuff, right? It's lots of different plans. People are now into that, like it's getting to be three and four months from a bunch of the spring races and stuff, so we're... We're yeah. trying to, what or, should I do for training? What should I do to get better at hill climbing? You know, now I have time. We're clear of the holidays. Yeah, definitely that post-holiday, like the, the number of emails that come in, I think today and tomorrow is like a little terrifying, like the 5th and 6th, 7th of January. I think people... for everything, yeah. Not just for plans, but I think probably everyone, you know, goes back to work eventually and, you know, the distraction and the preparations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a, it's a fun time. <laughs> I've also been actually riding a bunch, which is uh, a little different for me, obviously, since running has been sort of my number one thing this season. Um, but, you know, back on the bike, I'm actually on a Factor Vista, which is a very open um, kind of gravel-esque bike. It's sort of a do-everything bike. And frankly, it has done everything in this past week from some really gnarly descending to climbing one of the steepest, longest climbs around here in Girona. It's it's been really fun getting to getting to have honestly disc brakes on the road. Yeah, it's new for you to have those. Yeah, I can't even tell you the difference it made. And I mean, I've been wanting to shift over for a while, um, and I just hadn't yet. Even my cyclocross bike is still canty, um, 
And yeah, the difference is magical. So I love it. Uh, yeah, so that's been me is uh, riding, getting back to riding, trying to not go too hard into riding has actually been a really challenging thing for me because my automatic like inclination is to go out and do massive rides because I've done massive rides in the past. Well, and I think that relates to that sort of seven days of whatever resolution, whatever goal, whatever plan you're starting into, right, is I think just like tapering some of that effort and not going you know, full gas, right? Cause in that, it's like doing an, an effort, right? I've been talking to some people about doing, you know, threshold intervals or, you know, a 20 minute interval where you can go full gas for a minute, but there's still 19 more minutes. Right. Uh, so I think the year, the training plan, the, you know, whatever, uh, the block, the training camp, it's, it's all sort of a pacing exercise where you can't be full gas all the time. Yeah, for sure. Um, speaking of, you know, following your goals, going full gas on stuff. I'm super excited with today's guest. Uh, We have nutritionist, registered dietitian, Kylie Van Horn. She owns Fly Nutrition. She's a runner. She's in Colorado. She's amazing. Um, I love her because it's just total no BS nutrition advice. We talk through, you know, goal setting for nutrition. We talk about elimination diets, which are, you know, kind of a big thing for everyone this time of year. It can get a little you know, oh, maybe I should do a whole 30 or maybe I should do XYZ cleanse. Um, But we talked through sort of the the rational steps to take before you even start considering something like that. Um, Yeah, and talked through a bunch of other nutrition questions that we've been getting from people for the show or, you know, that I personally had. Right. And it's honestly talking to Kylie, I feel like I've known her for forever. It's one of the most fun conversations that I've had. I think I, I drop a few things that I normally wouldn't even talk about on the podcast. I get really honest in a few sections. Uh, so yeah, it's a little scary, but well, it's good. I really it's enjoyed it. Timely interview, I guess, with the, the new year. So nutrition, mm-hmm. we got that in there early. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, let us know if you have any further questions for Kylie, because she's awesome and is super willing yeah, to come back on. Yeah, she struck me as someone that was pretty balanced, like aware of some of these like more extreme measures and stuff, but also sort of rational enough to sort of help people find, you know, maybe those first steps before we go, you know, full gas. Yeah, exactly. So with that in mind, enjoy this conversation with Kylie Van Horn. Let's, let's dive in here. All right. The first thing I I always ask people is just kind of for a little bit about their athletic backgrounds and bios. And, you know, for you in particular, I'd love to know just where where you're coming from as an athlete and how nutrition kind of found its way in and like how you ended up settling on. I'm going to be a sports nutrition dietitian. Yeah. So I um first off thanks for having me oh my gosh thank you so much i'm so glad we finally get to do this because i've been using you as an expert for like a year now and it's great to finally get to have this like full chat where i can get all into these questions i've had yeah no i i really appreciate the opportunity as well um i have been i have a strong running background so Grew up in PA, uh, running with the cows in South Central Pennsylvania. Um, <laughs> my dad is a Olympic trials marathon uh, runner, and so he kind of got me into running. Um, and then uh, I went to the University of Richmond. Uh, I, w- I did a track and cross country stint there, um, and I actually got injured when I was there. So. 
I had a season of track eligibility left um, when I finished at Richmond. And then a couple years later when I moved to Colorado, I actually got to use that eligibility at Metro State University in Denver. Oh, nice. um, and ended up going to, yeah, I ended up going to NCAAs uh, that year when I went to Metro State, which I didn't really get to do when I was at Richmond. So it was pretty cool uh, to be able to use that eligibility later on. Okay, I want to um, come into this. Hang on. So in the couple years between those, were you still running or were you recovering? Like, do you think it's the fact that you were able to actually have some downtime that helped with that? Yeah, so there's a little bit of a backstory. I, I felt like, um, so when I was going to Richmond, I was a pre-veterinary major, um, and I studied my butt off trying to, I was hoping to go to veterinary school, and I put a lot of stress on myself, a lot of pressure. Um, there's a lot of kind of volunteer hours that you have to do to get into vet school. Mm-hmm. Um and honestly, I think that outside stress and lack of sleep hurt my running at Richmond. Mm-hmm. Um, that was part of it. Um, and then also the the D1 environment is just super competitive. And I felt like every day I was running very, very hard. So I didn't know how to run easy, yep. <laughs> which took a while to, uh, to kind of catch on to. And I think after I graduated, I finally finally figured that out. Um, I actually was a, a college coach at UNC Charlotte in North Carolina for a year. Oh, cool. Um, and I saw some of the athletes making the same mistakes that I did. And so I think that that kind of helped point it out to myself that, oh, maybe I need to do this in my own training. It is so, so much um, easier to assess what other people are doing, which I feel like I will also add is true of nutrition as well, versus what like understanding what you're doing. Exactly, yeah. And I find, you know, that's like with nutrition, when I try certain things that my clients are doing or I look at what they're doing, et cetera, it just helps me get to know um, what I'm recommending and all of that sort of thing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of going back, I never did end up going to veterinary school, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, I did apply, but I kind of had reservations because I realized I have a strong emotional attachment to animals <laughs> and yep. I, I could not, I don't think I could have handled, um, you know, some of the things that you have to handle as a veterinarian. And I didn't realize that until after I finished my undergrad at Richmond. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I just decided, well, you know, I, running has given me so much as a, as a person that I was really interested in trying to somehow, um, incorporate my love for the sport into a profession. And, um, so I did coaching for a while at UNC Charlotte. And then I also, when I moved to Colorado, uh, which was a year after that, um, I coached high school cross country and track as well. Um, I love coaching then, high school cross country. It's yeah. the most fun. Yeah, it was, I, I actually really loved it too. And I particularly love now giving nutrition talks to high schoolers too. Oh my so gosh. Yes. Kids are great. <laughs> yeah. Um, so did that and, uh, and actually worked for Ironman North America for a while. So I put on triathlons uh, when I moved out to Colorado. Oh, funny. Um, Did you ever get tempted yeah, to so do I, one? 
Um, not really, no. <laughs> I do not have a strong... I, I actually picked up cycling a couple of years ago because my husband used to be a cyclist. And uh, uh, so I've gotten into it a little bit, but the swim part, I think, would probably kill me. Fair um, enough. <laughs> do you know how to swim, but just not well. And I think that technique just mm-hmm. takes a long time to get good at that. So um, I really loved working for Ironman and actually working with the athletes. Um, and I actually am uh, really into race directing. So I actually currently race direct for a race in Aspen, a marathon and half marathon in the summer. So I still do that. Um, and my husband and I have considered maybe starting a race, a hundred miler or something ourselves. So, so that is kind of a, a bit of a side hobby for me. Um, but I also uh, kind of at that time that I was working for Ironman, I became interested in nutrition, just fueling myself for, mm-hmm. I was at the time training for the Olympic trials in the marathon. Um, and so kind of played around with my own personal eating pattern and fueling and all of that, which I never honestly did that much in college, sadly. Um, I don't I think, think we get told more... that stuff in college or we didn't, you know, 10, 15 years yeah, ago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we never had that at Richmond, but I think now it's actually becoming more common to have um, sports dietitians for college teams, which I think is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I never had that at that co- at the college level at that time. So, um, kind of paid more attention to it when I was training for the trials and honestly just kind of decided on a whim, you know, I want to go back to school for something. Why not try nutrition? Um, so went back for nutrition and then really my professor in sports nutrition at Metro State University, that was my, by far my favorite, um, kind of class. And I took a couple classes on sports nutrition there and, um, and I feel like my involvement with the sport in general has grown my interest in sports nutrition as kind of my, my focal area, Mm -hmm. um, I do, I do work with um, oncology patients as well, and I do work with preventative medicine as well, but, uh, you know, sports nutrition is my true passion. Yeah, yeah, I, I get that. And, okay, so you went from being, you know, trying for the Olympic marathon trials to ultra running. How did that shift happen? Um, so, actually, I don't even know if I can truly call myself an ultra runner, because I haven't even done a 50K yet. Um, so <laughs> I might get judged for this a little bit. Oh, but, boy. Um, I, got into, <laughs> I got into trail running, actually, because of my husband. Uh, he had a serious bike accident um, when he was 20 years old and okay. had two back surgeries. Um, and so he got me into trail running and trying to trail run. Um, and so... I decided we moved to the mountains five years ago and road running in the mountains is honestly not that fun. So fair. I was like, I am just, yeah. So I'm just going to get into and embrace trail running for all that it is. And now I can honestly say I'm never going back to the roads. Um, my dad would be sad to hear that, but, um, (laughs) it's just so much, it's so much more fun on the trails. Um, I've found that the community is amazing and 
uh, whenever I go to trail races, it's just like the most fun thing ever. So uh, I, my longest race that I've done was honestly recently with uh, the Moab Trail Marathon. Okay. So I haven't even done a 50K yet. And the reason being for that is that I had a serious foot injury a couple years ago um, where I had foot surgery and it took me two years to come back. So I'm just honestly like getting into trail racing. So uh, well, I that's guess exciting. I don't know. I feel like as soon yet. as you, <laughs> as soon as you take a marathon and put it on the trails, I'm like, it's an ultra. <laughs> <laughs> it's I know. gonna take longer really not that much further no but i could see some people being like well that's not truly an ultra yet so. oh whatever um, those people don't listen so, to this podcast yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so oh. um okay i so yeah i do you know i do trail running now and i've actually picked up some other sports being in the mountains as well so like i said uh road biking a bit and uh ski area mountaineering so my husband and I joke because we don't consider it necessarily ski mountaineering unless you're in the back country or like a technical mountain and he does more of that but I mainly stay on the ski resorts so we call it ski area mountaineering that sounds terrifying even on a ski resort but I like it (laughs) yeah it's really uh it's a really great form of cross training um in the winter up here, you know, there's Nordic skiing, regular, you know, downhill skiing, and then the ski area mountaineering or backcountry skiing. And so I kind of felt like I just needed to embrace some kind of winter mountain sports as well to have in my back pocket. So I mm-hmm. do ski ski as well. I taught myself how to do that. So all of those things kind of help complement the running in the winter, you know, when it's dark and icy and snowy yeah um yeah we have the same in ontario i was just doing a i did a 14 mile run on the treadmill the other day and i was like oh right this is why i started cross-country skiing uh it was the worst <laughs> never again just yeah, no so absolutely I'm not. not a treadmill person i mean i i i think i think i you know if i was forced really forced to do it then i can do it but i avoid it at all costs and i don't see any problem with using it you know as a tool if you like that sort of thing but yeah the funny thing is be outside in the yeah i hadn't even been on a treadmill in years and for some reason i was just like it's just too crappy out to do my long run outside today i'm just gonna do it on a treadmill it was the worst idea ever (laughs) yep yeah, winter winter sports. Hopefully you watched a good movie or something. I know? watched so much Riverdale, which I probably shouldn't say, so listeners hear that, but putting <laughs> it out there. It was fantastic. No regrets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No regrets. Um, all right, coming back to nutrition. I mean, we're we're in such an interesting time, I think, with sports nutrition and nutrition in general, where stuff is just you know, new research is being done all the time. New research is being done on women instead of just on guys, which is awesome. Just lots of new new stuff happening. Is there anything that's particularly exciting to you right now? Like, what's been what's been fun and interesting? Or has it all been irritating? So I think there are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say there are some areas you know that are irritating, but um, I think what's really been fun for me is hearing. Um, all of the different sports nutrition products that people are coming out with for fueling. 
Um, so, for instance, there's companies that have hydrogels. There's companies that have isotonic gels. And oftentimes, I hear about these things from my clients. So then I go and research them, research the product and, you know, see what they contain and all that sort of thing. Um, so it's been really interesting to kind of see in my mind, there's been a lot of new products coming out. So um, I think it's important, though, for people to kind of be careful when they are seeing these new products and Mm -hmm. saying, you know, what is in this product and um, what is it being marketed for? You know, Um, is the marketing really anything new or are they just saying something to try and sell their product? Yeah. Um, And okay, I need to pause and ask, what the heck does it mean? Like these different gels that are coming out, because I've been hearing that, like all of that stuff. But what is the difference between that and, you know, your your old school gel gel? Yeah, so uh, honestly, it's going to depend on what formula we're talking about. Um, but, you know, that your, your old school traditional gel, when we think of, you know, that sort of thing, that's going to be probably a mixture of glucose and fructose. Um, and it's going to be just a, when people think of that, they think of like a, a sticky, like, sweet formula um, that may or may not agree with their stomach. Mm -hmm. Um, And some of these other products that are coming out are trying to, I think, alter the consistency of the product a little bit um, to make it more palatable. And then also um, these newer products are, I don't know if they're necessarily novel in my mind because they are actually using similar ingredients such as maltodextrin and glucose and so again I think it's a consistency thing and also um, more of maybe a marketing thing and then um, they talk about the osmolarity of the product which kind of goes into how well something might be absorbed in your gut system I guess Um, okay so how many little particles um, can be absorbed at one time so a lower osmolarity product might be, the argument is that it would be absorbed a little bit better and maybe not cause as much GI distress. Okay, cool. Um, on the on that topic, actually, I'm going to skip to one of the questions I was going to ask you later, but athletes with gut issues. I mean, I think it's something like 60% of runners report digestive issues during <laughs> runs. Um and it seems like everyone I talk to is saying they have some kind of gut situation going on. So any tips on what an athlete with kind of chronic stomach pain or digestive issues can do to start fixing themselves other than, you know, trying every yeah, so, every isotonic whatever thing that's available? Yeah, so I, um, I listened to an interesting podcast the other day on the, the Ultra Running podcast. Um, I love that one. About the founder of the spring energy gel uh, one that they were talking about. Um, And I found it interesting. They're talking about inflammation and how as runners, the further we run, the more inflammation we can occur in our gut. Um, And if we go into a race with a maybe already inflamed gut, uh, is our body going to be able to handle the fueling plan that we have in place? Mm-hmm. So I found that really interesting to consider. So, you know, I think it's kind of multifaceted. So I think we need to consider 
Um, you know, what are you doing in your everyday life to eat? Are you doing things that might support your gut health? So are you maybe eating some probiotic-rich foods? Um, are you eating, you know, some foods like um, leeks and garlic and those sorts of things actually promote gut health? Um, are you eating a varied diet with fruits and vegetables and that sort of thing? So I think all of those things need to be considered. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you go into the actual fueling and what works for someone versus another person, I think that gets more complicated too, because I don't think there's necessarily one thing that's going to work for every person. Um, so I've really worked with some, some complicated athletes in this realm myself, um, in particular Ironman athletes, um, who have to have their fueling plan very dialed. Um, and one thing that I've found to be very helpful, uh, is, creating a couple different options for yourself. So saying like, I'm going to try three different fueling plans and see, you know, with these different products, which one might actually work best with my uh, stomach or my gut system Um, and practicing with those. And then whatever they're kind of feeling best on, then, then utilizing that with their long runs, long rides, et cetera, um, leading up to the race. Yeah. So kind of kind of doing some different options um, for fueling, I think, is important. So, so maybe not just saying, I'm sticking with this one product, you know, and that's what I'm going to use. So maybe being willing and open to trying some other things. Yeah. Um, no, I think that's super important because I think a lot of people get kind of stuck on like, well, I've used this before and obviously it's it's totally fine and will will continue to work for me but i mean we change too so and we change sports right like what worked for me ahead of a 5k it's probably not going to be the same as ahead of a 50 exactly yeah and that that is where i think it can get very complicated because in particular with ultra running um i think that it's really hard to tell somebody oh you need to do two to 300 calories an hour and you have to get 16 to 20 ounces of fluid and all of these specific recommendations because what happens is around five hours, the stomach tends to go south anyway. So you need to have a backup plan too. And you need to be able to figure out, okay, what, what else can I do if my stomach goes south, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's something that I think is also very big um, for people to understand is that you might have this perfect fueling plan in mind and in particular with Ironmans and ultra races that might not always go the way that you want it to go so um, with all my clients I always talk to them about okay what what would be your backup plan if, if something went wrong with your fueling, your original fueling plan mm-hmm. um, so I think that's important to kind of to kind of know that um, yeah One thing I have, another kind of tidbit that I have found to help athletes is uh, peppermint Tums, so peppermint and acid, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, So having those, in particular for, like, longer races as a a little bit of a backup uh, has been helpful for a lot of people. Um, Yeah, and that's probably way better than popping a bunch of, like, NSAIDs or ibuprofen mid-race, too. Oh, Yeah. Because what that can do is just upset your GI tract even more, you know? Yeah. Whether it's 
the bleeding of the stomach or, you know, upsetting the GI system and causing diarrhea or something like that. Um, so um, the glamorous so yeah, world we live in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think it's important to a have your own personal feeling plan and then have a backup feeling plan as well. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is to be aware of, okay, so say in your daily life, you actually do tend to have GI symptoms. Um, so is that, does that mean that maybe your gut is inflamed on a day-to-day basis? Um, and so figuring that out, I think is important. So, you know, there are, you know, irritable bowel syndrome, there are legitimate celiac candidates, um, those sorts of things, and and trying to figure out on a day-to-day basis, okay, maybe my gut really isn't that um, normal. Maybe it's not good that I'm going to the bathroom like five times a day. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that case, you know, I think it's really important to work with uh, a nutrition professional, like a dietitian, um, trying to figure out maybe what those um, intolerances are or uh, sensitivities are for you as a person. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. a big, that is a big mistake that I see people making is they, they self-diagnose themselves with these, um, food intolerances and sensitivities. And so they really limit the foods that they're eating, but they have no idea if that's truly what's causing their symptoms. I will so, say I'm so guilty of this in the past year. I've been like, oatmeal can't do it. Coconut can't do it. Um, <laughs> Which, like, neither of which make any sense because they're, like, the least allergy-inducing things on the planet. It was really just, like, other crap I was eating around them. But those were the easy ones to be like, I don't want to eat these as much as I want to eat, you know, peanut butter or something. So, or, like, a lot of sugar. Yeah, and Um. (laughs) yeah, so a lot of people do that sort of thing. And then I end up getting these clients later on where they're like, oh, I can't eat, like, 50 different foods. I'm like, really? Have have you done an elimination diet or how are you figuring this out? And they're like, oh, no, I'm just guessing. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) Um, actually, elimination diet is something I really wanted to ask you about. Elimination diets in athletes, um, I feel like especially as we're heading into the new year, this is like a super trendy thing where everyone's like, 2020 is the year I'm going to make sure that I'm like eating what's right for me and I'm going to do this, you know, anti-inflammatory inflammation or inflammation-free elimination diet, all of the i and e words um yeah yeah (laughs) could you kind of speak to like i mean if this is a good idea and if so like any tips for athletes trying to do this um so i think it kind of goes back to what i was saying it can get a little bit dangerous if you are eliminating all of these different foods from your diet that might actually be pretty healthy for us Mm -hmm. uh so things like you know oats or something like that um so in that case, you know, you're, you're really limiting the foods that you can actually take in for fuel as an athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, and where I see the biggest issue is coming up with nutrient deficiencies, um, energy deficiencies, because it's, they're being so restrictive with the diet. Um, I do think that it is possible to do an elimination diet if you're having uh, legitimate symptoms and, and mainly those symptoms being gastrointestinal uh, symptoms. So the low FODMAP diet, um, is super intense and super complicated in my opinion. Agreed. Um, oh my gosh. So, 
the list of things you can't eat on yeah. there like it doesn't even like i know it makes sense on a cell like a you know chemistry level but it's it's a lot <laughs> yeah and if and if you are trying to do that yourself uh you know you're gonna probably come up with some deficiencies in my opinion because it's really hard to actually do that without some guidance um so that's where i recommend doing some of these more complicated elimination diets with a registered dietitian Mm -hmm. Um, somebody that can actually make you a a meal plan so i have done that for people an entire like low fodmap meal plan for like a month and then they have they don't have to think about the foods that they can't eat or can eat and then they just follow it and then we do the reintroduction phase and they get through it you know and then Mm -hmm. i determine what their nutritional needs are and so then they actually know that they're meeting their nutritional needs for their training and all that sort of thing, rather than just guessing and saying, oh, you know, maybe I am, I don't know. And then down the line, they end up with some deficiency. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. And I think most people don't necessarily need to do an elimination diet. I would argue that most people that think they need to could probably stand to like cut out alcohol and extra processed sugars that are in their diet and stuff like you know the the low-hanging fruit instead of you know everything all in one one good whack and would probably see a lot of improvement yeah and that's kind of that is kind of i guess one of the points i would i would agree with and make is that um oftentimes a lot of these really restrictive diets they are just cut they work because you're taking out things that you probably shouldn't necessarily be having all the time anyways that aren't the most healthy for us. (laughs) So um, that's why they work. Uh, I would say, you know, the low FODMAP diet is one that I think does have a place for a certain population. But again, I don't think doing a low FODMAP diet for somebody that's just randomly feeling like, oh, maybe it'll work for my inflammation or something. I don't think that's a good idea, you know? so I agree with you. I think oftentimes that's why these the extreme diets work uh, maybe short term for people because they're taking out the things that they probably shouldn't have been having before. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, you know, on that note, we're, we're dealing, I'm sure you're dealing with a lot of clients as we're heading into the new year. Uh, I argue this is the best and the worst time for athletes to make, you know, new goals and resolutions. Like on one hand, I'm all about the New Year's, New You thing. I friggin' love it. But I, you know, other hand, I recognize the, the statistics do not bode well for anyone sticking to any of these things, including myself, but I still make them every year. Uh, any tips for how someone can make yeah. realistic resolutions? Yeah, and I think, honestly, this is probably not going to be the sexy answer that people want to hear, and you've probably heard other dietitians <laughs> promoting this. But we try to promote, you know, longer-term sustainable changes mm-hmm. uh, to kind of promote a long-term success and health. Um, so one thing that can be helpful, I think, is that when you are making your goals, asking yourself, is this specific and measurable or is it just some random, like, I'm going to exercise more, mm-hmm. for instance. Um, that would not be very specific. That would not be very measurable. So those SMART goals you might have heard about um, before, trying mm-hmm. to be a little bit more 
um, dialed in on what your goals are. Mm -hmm. Um, So, for instance, you could say, I'm going to do strength training three times per week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. That would be a very specific goal. Um, And then measuring-wise, you could try to increase your weight or something, you know, that you're using to li- when you're lifting weights. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's just an example of something, but I think that's important for people to kind of understand and actually try to implement. Um, yeah. The other thing I fi- find is that's kind of uh, hard for people is they just want to do a complete life overhaul for, for their New Year's resolution. Oh, for sure. Um, totally guilty of this. So, 100%. <laughs> yeah, so... It's, it's tempting. It really is. We're like, oh, a, a completely new me. Makeover um, montage. I, I think. Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and so I think really they have research has shown up to three goals at one time. It's kind of the max that we can handle. Um, so, so trying to break down what your maybe complete overhaul is into three smaller, more measurable goals would be my recommendation um i do also i do something personally with all of my clients um when i initially talk to them i ask them what's your motivation for wanting to make this change Mm -hmm. um and i have them think about that and i have them actually write that down um and i and i have them keep that in the back of their mind as they're working towards whatever goal they're working towards I think that's important it's you know are you doing this for yourself are you doing this for someone else um if it's for someone else are you really going to stick with it so I think that's something that you can do to even personalize it a little bit more yeah for sure and I think there's so many people that set the generic goals like one of the questions I wanted to ask you about is that like so many people have the goal of like I want to lose five pounds but I mean why like does that actually line up with you know me wanting to be a great 50k ultra runner uh does five pounds really factor into that like what what is the actual reason I want to do that and I think most people would actually you know walk away thinking oh that actually isn't really the right you know way of looking at that goal or the right goal exactly like I actually want something else and so that I think took an example of how you can use writing down what your motivation is um to kind of figure out where you should maybe be setting your goals towards, you know? Um, and, and, you know, on that note of everyone losing five pounds, um, I think that it's important to kind of ask yourself too, is this, is this really realistic for me to be losing five pounds? Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes people do actually, you know, they, they might want to lose weight for their health or something. Um, but then I, I've gotten clients where they want to lose five pounds but I'm not so sure that it's a very good idea for them because they're at a healthy healthy weight, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they want to change their body composition, and I'll talk to them about that. But the this focus on weight loss um, and trying to be as small as possible uh, isn't necessarily always the best way to go, in my mind. Yes, um, completely agree. So, yeah, so um, I think, yeah, it's important to kind of, evaluate yourself 
and, and ask yourself, why am I doing this? And what are those reasons for wanting to do this? For sure. Um, and I mean, in terms of like goals that are resolutions that people can set that are sort of in that, like, these are good, smart lifestyle changes. Are there any that come to mind as like, these are good things that everyone can do. Like the one we always joke about, it's just like, could you eat one more serving of vegetables a day? Uh, pretty much all of us can do that. And all of us are guilty of not doing that enough. <laughs> so that's always one of mine. But yeah. anything to that effect yeah, that exactly. you like? <laughs> um, I think some big ones that I see are uh, bringing your work, uh, lunch to work. Ooh, um, yeah. So maybe I'll bring my lunch to work three out of five days uh, during the week. Um, or definitely the vegetable one, um, or after a workout, I'll really try to have a recovery snack within two hours of when I work out or something, you know, mm-hmm. um, cause that is also a big one. There's a lot of people that are very busy and they don't eat after their workouts and they don't have anything available after their workouts. Um, so I think that that's kind of important um to to kind of make that a goal uh, yeah. for athletes in particular. Yeah, I completely agree and not even necessarily just because of that like 90 minute window that we talk about. I think it's because if you don't eat, you're going to be ravenous in, you know, 2 hours and that's where you start going down the like just going to pop out to grab a donut and maybe a latte yeah. type situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and and I mean it does affect your choices later in the day. I often see clients that will have cravings in the evening. That's a really big one that I see. And I find that it's very related to their choices earlier in the day or lack of choices earlier in the day. Yeah. Um, so really focusing on getting in that protein source, uh, fruits and vegetables, uh, those sorts of things earlier mm-hmm. in the day, um, getting in enough calories earlier in the day is really important um and then it does it's very interesting because i have a lot of people that will notice then once they make those changes oh wow my cravings have really decreased Mm -hmm. so that is something that uh people tend to notice if they really focus on on trying to change that around a little bit yeah absolutely um so i think that's that's one of the questions i want to ask was like biggest mistakes that you see athletes making and i think you know one of the ones that i notice and i do it myself is that yeah like loading later in the day uh going like light on breakfast light on lunch and then like the hefty dinner which i mean it's just you know it's how most of us grew up to be honest Um, yeah it's, it's an easy thing to fall into for sure um any other any other ones that you can think that came to mind well, I was just going to kind of comment on that one a little bit. Yeah, please. Um, I really like uh, Nancy Clark talked about this at one point. She's a really well-known sports dietitian. Um, but I liked her analogy of think about your eating pattern throughout the day. And I call it an eating pattern, um, not a diet, just because I work with a lot of eating disorder clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you break break it up throughout the day into buckets and think about how you're going to uh, get your nutrients into those different buckets. So protein-wise, like how much, you know, are you going to get in each bucket for protein to spread it out? How many servings of vegetables can you get into your bucket to spread it out? And thinking about filling up your bucket does tend to help people sometimes just, you know, uh, have that goal. Mm -hmm. You know, fill my bucket for lunch or something. You know, I like that analogy. So I thought I would 
kind of comment on that a little bit. No, I love that. Um, but some, but some other mistakes I see athletes making. Um, we did kind of talk about it a little bit, switching to extreme diets without really knowing how to do that diet and then the repercussions of that diet later on. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, That's, that's such a big one, especially with the new year. Everyone's kind of, they're looking for the quick fix. Mm -hmm. And again, uh, you know, it's not sexy, but small uh, sustainable changes. I think are are the best way to go when you're making nutrition changes and health goals for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other one would be uh, a big one I see is people taking random supplements and oh, not knowing yes. exactly what's in the supplement or what they are supplementing with. They don't even know what it is that they're taking. So yep. that's a big one that I see as well. Um, so I find that with athletes and then uh the fueling thing uh that we talked about earlier too a Mm -hmm. lot of people are are very clueless on how to fuel themselves during races um they don't use anything at all uh they're like oh yeah i ran this ultra five hour race and i didn't eat anything i'm like oh (laughs) Oh, dear yeah i felt really tired yeah okay yeah Yeah, that's probably why (laughs) so um so, yeah, I think that's where, uh, you know, having somebody help you with some of these things, like having a nutrition coach. So a sports dietitian can be your nutrition coach um, and, and help you get through some of these things where that might actually require a little bit more planning than what you're thinking they might. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and coming back to the, the supplement one, how do you have any kind of guidelines for athletes to figure out what is worth it? Because it's such a tricky thing, um, right? <laughs> yeah, it is. And I actually worked in a natural food store for a couple of years before I got my RD credentials. So I was surrounded by people coming in and asking about random supplements all the time. So I, I feel like I got to know the supplement industry very well. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> and the first, thing, <clears throat> the first thing that I'll say is, that the FDA just does not regulate the supplement industry in the U.S. Uh, mm-hmm. well at all. So people really need to be careful with what they're taking. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, if you are a higher-performing athlete that could possibly get tested, um, drug tested, then yeah. you really need to be careful. Um, and so I tend to go with, um, you know, the certified sport label, uh, NSF label, USP label, because those are at least a little bit extra precautions that that company is taking, like third-party testing. Now, again, there is not a 100% guarantee with any supplement, so I'm going to say that again, mm-hmm. that all dietary supplements, there is a chance that they could be contaminated even with a, a third-party label on them. Um, so those are just some, some guidelines that I tell people to look Um, And then I think it's really important to kind of be good at label reading for a supplement. So so not just picking up a bottle off the shelf and saying, oh, you know, this is a vitamin D 2000 IU. That's what my coach told me to take. I'm just getting that one. It has, you know, it has that certified for sport label, so it should be good. 
Um, but actually turning the label around and looking at the product, you know, mm-hmm. um, and kind of, uh, making sure like, what is, what are the other ingredients that are included in that product? Cause a lot of supplements will have other ingredients listed, but people don't pay attention to those. Yeah. Um, and they, they could have random things in them that you don't really need. Um, the other thing is paying attention to, uh, what form the supplement is in. So in particular, if we're using vitamin D as an example, is it in the D2 form or the D3 form? Um, the D3 form is a little bit more uh, of an active form in our bodies. So, so it doesn't take as many conversion steps to get to the place where our body is going to be using it. Mm-hmm. So, it so that would probably be a better choice. Um, and, and so utilizing that knowledge to choose your supplement. Um, and then, you know, I think also learning and, and looking at things, the research behind the supplements is, is a really good idea as well. So I use a, a website called the Natural Medicines da- Database. Um, and what it does is it kind of, it goes through all the research on particular supplements or herbs and shows if there's strong evidence to support that supplement being effective, um, if it's, you know, not much evidence. And so it goes through what the evidence is for, for that particular supplement for certain conditions. Oh, cool. Um, and that's great I for, like, it. when you see a headline on, like, take oregano 18 times a day for everything. Um, yeah, You can actually exactly. reference that and, you know, see if that's actually an accurate thing. For the record, no one should take oregano 18 times a day. Just- just throwing that out there. Um. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think uh, I think researching what these you know vitamins and herbs, what their actions, what they're supposed to be claiming to do in the body, and if there's evidence to support those things doing what they're you know being advertised to do. I guess, would be a good idea. Yeah, and I think um, that's great for even just giving I, people, like, a pause to, like, actually think, do I need this, instead of just kind of seeing it pop up on Twitter or Facebook or wherever and just hitting, like, order now. Um, having exactly. to take that research minute will, will maybe, like, you know, it's like an impulse buy, right? This this helps you cut yeah. out the impulse buys. Yeah, and I think that's really important with combination formulas, too. Ooh, so yeah. you see, like, uh, these random formulas, they'll have, like, 10 different uh, things in them, herbs or vitamins, minerals, whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, and, and making sure you know what all of those things are in that supplement, um, because there are certain herbs, they do have medicinal properties, and so if you take certain herbal products, uh, you know, and you have some kind of medical condition or you're taking medications, et cetera, you know, that's not going to be necessarily a good thing for you to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so for instance, like the herb kava, if you take too much of kava, that can cause liver issues or liver damage. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, having that knowledge of, of what you're actually purchasing is really, really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm actually doing a kind of a every Wednesday now on my Instagram, I'm doing a, a how to read a supplement label or, you know, what's in oh, your supplement. I love it. And I'm, take, I'm taking a supplement um, and breaking it down for people. So, you know, this week's vitamin D, last week was fish oil. And so what you should be looking for, what's in this particular supplement, 
Um, what does this thing do? Does the evidence support its use or not? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, so looking, looking to, um, you know, dietitians uh, or people that are really looking at the research and are, are trying to make a really science-based uh, recommendation or help people, you know, um, that's yeah. another way that you could educate yourself, I guess. Yeah, I love that. And what is your Instagram handle so everyone can go follow for that? Fly Nutrition 3. Perfect. Um, all right. So the other big, big topic I want to talk about is, you know, obviously red S or reds or however, or R-E-D-S, or how, whatever you want to call it or however you want to say it, um, is kind of a big topic for discussion right now. Um, and, you know, it's not just amongst elite athletes. It's not like the reason we switched from female athlete triad to red S is because it's not just female athletes. You don't need to have all of like the triad of symptoms to be dealing with this. Uh, what do you wish athletes were, you know, paying more attention to and being more aware of at this point? Uh, to be honest with you, uh, I don't necessarily think that it's a hundred percent nutrition related. Uh, completely um, I agree. That, Could not agree uh, more. Yeah. So I think that uh, mental health is that would be one of my top recommendations for people. Yes. Um, I think a lot of athletes need to take some time and think about, uh, you know, why they're doing certain things, why they're involved in the sport, sport, why they want to lose weight, um, kind of looking at their emotions um, and their eating combined, too, because emotions and eating are, are very intertwined. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's really, really important to, to kind of uh, have a little bit more focus on mental health. Um, you know, some people are really opposed to therapy and they, they use running or they use their sport as their kind of their therapy. But I also think sometimes people use it to mask the underlying issues that are going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so having that awareness and, and maybe it's not even going to, to talk to a therapist. Maybe it's as simple as, you know, talking to a friend and saying, you know, I need somebody to talk to. Um, I, I'm struggling with some things and being okay uh, to, to kind of talk about those things. Um, I think it's also important for men to be able to talk about these things as well um i know my husband uh he struggled for a long time with an eating disorder and he is doing a lot um in where we live now in the roaring fork valley in colorado to kind of bring awareness to eating disorders and men and in endurance sports in particular oh Um, i love that yeah that's such a huge thing yeah because i think there's a lot of focus on, you know, women and red S and all this. And I, I feel like the men are getting overlooked a little bit in my opinion too. Um, Literally the one area in the world where men are getting overlooked. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know, but it's, it's interesting. Like being coming from that college uh, running background too. I, I saw it on my college team as well, not just on the female side of things, but on the male side of things too. Mm-hmm. And so I just hate, you know, that I don't want men to get overlooked in this situation either. And I think, um, I think that, that considerations uh, for mental health and being able to openly talk about your feelings and that sort of thing is, is important. Um, I think 
that there's some other things that play a role as well. So the media plays a role, um, you know, family plays a role, coaches play a role. So it's, it's not necessarily just one thing that's playing a role, I feel mm-hmm. like, in this whole uh, Red S uh, conversation that, that's occurring more. Um, so I think it, it does have to be a little bit of a cultural shift, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. you know, that, that's kind of my, my thoughts on that. Self-compassion, uh, positive body image are things that need to be emphasized. Yeah. Um, yeah, completely. And, and yes, I'm not, I'm not overlooking that nutrition is important in this whole, whole thing, but uh, I do feel like there needs to be a good emphasis on, on that mental health side of things as well. Um, and that positive body image side of things. Yeah, I think if you don't address it from like a pretty holistic perspective, you're you're going to solve one problem, but something else is just going to end up cropping up. So I think, yeah, you do need to kind of hit it on, on all of those fronts for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and, and it's just interesting because I do work with a lot of uh, disordered eating and, and clients with eating disorders. Um, and if I didn't have a therapist that I work with with these people, uh, they, it would be really hard to to help them, you know, because yeah. eating, again, eating and mental health are really intertwined. Um, yeah, for sure. And I think that's re- really important for people to keep in mind, too, because uh, oftentimes I'll hear others saying, oh, you just need to eat more food or like telling people to eat more that yeah. might have an issue, you know. And, and it's really not that simple. Um, it, it's a lot, it goes a lot deeper than, than just eating more food. <laughs> yeah, completely. So. Yeah. All right. And then the last thing I want to touch on, on a lighter note, is just your best tips for sort of those easy wins. And I listed meal prepping as kind of one of the, the ideas that I, I had in terms of this as far as just what people can do that's not going to be a huge deal, that's not going to be a sweeping lifestyle change that can get them on the road to better nutrition. <laughs> yeah, so I think first off, it's important to kind of know yourself and know your patterns and, you know, if you're if you're very busy or, or what areas you might be struggling in with your eating. Um, and one of those big areas, I'll touch on the meal prep in a second, but one of those big areas for people that I work with is uh, tends to be in the car driving or they're very busy with work. Um, and they don't have any food around. So they'll mm-hmm. like stop at a fast food joint or a gas station and just pick something random up. So I think one thing that's really fun to do is make an emergency food stash in your Ooh, car. I love that. So, um, yeah, so taking a little, um, you could get a toiletry bag or something or some kind of reusable little bag that you can put under the seat um, and then filling it with, things that might be convenient, healthy options for you. So it could be like tuna packs or it could be, you know, like a kind bar, um, little individual packs of nuts. Um, You could, if you like protein powder, you could do some individual packets of protein powder and then just grab some water to put it in or some um, milk to put it in and Mm -hmm. make a quick little recovery shake. Um, so, So that one I find is tends to work really well for people because then they're prepared in the car after a workout. Oh, um, I love that. Yeah. So, so choosing, you know, you can kind of choose what things you like, um, but keeping in mind choosing things that 
have a little bit of protein and, and a good amount of carbohydrate if you're doing this for post-workout would be a good idea too. Mm-hmm. And stuff that actually like um, is stuff that you enjoy because I found I've done that, but I've done like such healthy things that like did not really appeal to me. And then when the drive got long, I still went for the fast food because it, it was, you know, <laughs> better than what I had packed. So I think finding exactly, what you actually like. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so so it's one thing we don't if we get stuff that we think we should be eating and then we're not going to eat it. Well, that's not probably not going to be that effective. Yep. So so definitely definitely choosing things that you would gravitate towards, maybe even at home. You know. Mm-hmm. So if it is something that you have at home, is there a way to have that be a non-perishable option in your car too? Um, I also do that for people at work too. They can keep a little bag at their desk. Um, so it's their little food emergency bag at their desk as oh, well. Such a good idea, yeah. <laughs> um, but as far as meal prep goes, uh, I think I get a lot of clients that are like, I, I don't meal prep. This is going to be really hard. I'm like, no, it's okay. You, there's just some small things you can do. <laughs> so thinking about a day where you don't tend to be quite as busy uh, and how much time you spend on either watching TV or on social media, maybe saying, oh, I'm going to cut that amount of time in half, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I'm going to use that time to prepare a few things for the week. Um, so I think having, uh, you know, you can make an extra ha- dozen hard-boiled eggs, mm-hmm. um, making a large batch of quinoa, large batch of rice, um, roasted root vegetables, um, having ingredients like a big thing of greens in your refrigerator. So then, you know, during the week, you could make like a quick bowl that would be pretty balanced. Um, you could, you know, cook up a, a whole pan of chicken breast as well if you want to do that, or have cans of garbanzo beans or, you know, black beans and, and have all of those things stocked in your pantry. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are, you know, I think having things stocked in your pantry and then also doing some simple large batch cooking would be the my best advice for meal prep, especially if people don't want to, you know, do this expensive meal prep, which I know I don't have a lot of time to do that either. Um, but I do do some of those like simple things like I was recommending. Yeah, um, it's definitely it's easy to get really precious about that and like think that it has to be this very fancy like drawn out process, but really it it can be the easiest thing in the world or just the simplest thing. And it does save time. Like that's, that's it. Like it think does. about how much time you end up wasting when you're like waiting in line to get like the crappy salad at lunch or the fast food at lunch versus, you know, it's probably about the same amount of time exactly. you'd spend meal prepping. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then also as far as like budgeting too, oh, uh, yeah. it definitely saves money. Yes, and frankly, if you set the iPad on the counter, you can keep watching Netflix while you meal prep. Just just a hot tip. (laughs) Yes, that is is perfect. Um, And then, you know, I will say I do have some people that they don't even want to do that. Um, And so they consider maybe doing a a service that already does that for them, Mm -hmm. you know, like one of those freshly HelloFresh type businesses. Um, that that does that sort of thing, which I think you're definitely not getting as much food for your money. But at the same time, 
if it is helping you with eating healthier and that sort of thing and trying to reach your goals, then, yeah, I mean, it's okay to consider those things as well. Yeah, if you're going to um, do it, then <laughs> what yeah, are you actually so going I, to I do? Yeah, it's really important um, for people to remember that, you know, you can have a lot of nutrition experts or health professionals telling you, oh, this is what you should be doing. But at the same time, you need to have an understanding of yourself as well and how you work Mm -hmm. Um, because anyone can tell you to do all these things, but if you don't know how to implement those things into your life, it's going to be really difficult uh, for you to actually make those changes. So so I think that's also important, you know, and and the advantage of working with someone, you know, whether it's a nutrition coach or a running coach, is that you can have that interaction with that person and be able to personalize uh, your nutrition or your run coaching or your bike coaching or whatever. Um, And so I think that is really important when you're trying to achieve specific goals. Yeah, exactly. That that check-in can be such a huge game changer for a lot of people, and I think that's that's really important to remember. And I mean, honestly, the, the nutrition professionals, I feel like people don't think about it until it's too late. And I mean, you and I were just working on an article I w- I've been doing about this, but I think it makes sense to, you know, check in with the nutrition expert early in the process, like figure out what what your needs are and, and how to, you know, do better with all of your nutrition before you have issues. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. I think it is hard for a lot of people to admit that they might need some help with their nutrition. Yeah. A lot of people, they, they just think they're doing the right thing. Um, and again, it, it's not, they're not to blame necessarily because we do have all these media influences as well, and it's not a wonder that people get confused. Yeah. Um, so... So I agree with you. Um, oh my gosh, I get confused like 10 times a, a day idea. and it's my job to read this. Th- or maybe it's because it's my job to read <laughs> all of this stuff is why I get confused. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so and so people might think they're doing the right thing, um, but I think it's good maybe to kind of check in with yourself every so often and ask yourself, oh, you know, how am I feeling uh, the way that I'm eating? Because paying attention to how you're feeling, like training, and all of that or in your daily life, I think that's really important as well um, mm-hmm. and can tell you a lot. Your body can tell you a lot about what's going on in your life and maybe there's some things you need to work on. Yes, for sure. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Where can everyone find you online and follow along with stuff and bug you if they have more questions? Yeah, so I Instagram Fly Nutrition 3 um, and then my website is flynutrition.org, um, and I do do a uh, Ask the Dietitian column every two weeks for Trail Runner Magazine, so if anyone wants to ask any specific sports nutrition questions that I didn't answer, they can ask me um, through my website on the contact form, and I can answer that uh, those questions for them. Oh, amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kylie. This was, this was great chatting. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Uh, you can check out my stuff over at theoutdooredit.com or by following me on Instagram and Twitter at Molly J. Herford. And you can check out Peter's coaching, training plans, blogs, all that fun stuff over at smartathlete.ca 
or by following him on Twitter and Instagram at Peter Glassford. And if you want to support this show and other awesome podcasts, please check out WideAnglePodium.com for show info, other podcasts, bonus content, and to become a donating member so you can get all of that rad behind-the-scenes content and help keep shows like this on the air. And lastly, if you're enjoying this podcast and all the information that we're bringing to you every single week, uh, do us a solid and pop into iTunes to leave us a rating and review. It takes you about two seconds. You can do it on your computer. You can do it on your phone. And it really helps us out. Thanks so much, and we will see you next week. <laughs>